Welcome everyone, I'm Anu. I'm Sumit. And, and we, we are, are the Cyber, Cyber siblings. siblings. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 2 of season 2, which is all about data breaches. And today we're going to be talking about data breaches in the financial services sector. So now I know Sumit, that's something that you really are passionate about. You've spent a lot of time on this. So I'm really looking forward to hearing about and learning from you. And I also hope our listeners can take learnings from financial services industry to their respective industries. Um, so let me start off by why this industry for you? Yeah, look, thanks, sis. And yeah, definitely happy to share any insights um, on FS, of course, um, one of my favorite sectors. Look, why um, FS? Think about anything financial services, financial finance, money, anything money related, of course, that data is going to have a huge amount of value for anyone that's not authorized to access it. That's it in a nutshell. Money. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> but okay. as we unpack it, we'll learn that it's not just about uh, you know paper money in its raw form, but it's a whole suite of financial products and the data that's associated yep. with it. Okay. Well, before we get into it, I think one thing I, again, having spoken about aviation in the last episode, this one... Are there many components to financial services? Like how, I think my instant reaction and many people's could be it's just the banks, but there is probably more to it. How do you break up financial services? Look, I think I usually go with a product approach. Okay. Uh, I find it's easier for me to, uh, because I've worked in a lot of different financial services segments, uh, I find that by splitting it up in terms of the nature of the product and what what and what in it is it actually in its underlying function will actually give you uh, the different regulatory requirements it will give you the different security requirements it will give you different compliance and risk angles and it'll give you different um, strategy and operations principles as well in terms of how you want to grow that industry so banking yes is definitely one it's you know you've got the standard retail banking you've got the lending and deposit taking yep and of course, that does go into um, private banking as well and all those, but we'll just cover that as banking. The other one would be insurance. And another one would also be mutuals, which is a type of banking in itself, but it's more member owned as opposed to your listed uh, retail banks. Uh, then things like superannuation. So that could be anything saving for retirement. And in the US, I guess our US listeners, that would be like your 401k accounts, whereas here it would be like your um, MySuper um, accounts or things like that. So um, investment banking, um, and you've got anything in the capital markets section. And then there's another two that I actually want to add. People probably say it as one, but I like to split it up as two. Um, one is your fintechs. Um, fintechs in the sense that they are either disrupting or collaborating with your, I guess, your incumbents and they're providing additional sort of services and they could be like uh, transfer, payment transfers in different forex, like different currencies, or it could actually be um, like your incubator perspective. Ah, uh, okay. So yep. if you've got an accelerator or an incubator and they're providing different ways of providing, like giving these um, financial services. And so that could be things like tokenization. And the reason why I actually like to split it up is that not every fintech goes into tokenization or digital assets where you can 
maybe break apart things so you can own something digitally, but you can own, own like comparts, compartments of it. So I'm hinting at a bit, a bit of blockchain infrastructure there as well, uh, but I like to keep those separate. And I know that probably goes a lot in terms of an intern spectrum, but think about it this way. In essence, it's either you providing money now, so that's kind of like deposit taking, yep. or you catering for money in the future, that's credit. So things like lending, it could be like foreign exchange or derivatives or over-the-counter um, futures or swaps, or it could be uh, a mixture of the two. So it will always fall into three themes of where money now, money later, or a combination of the two. That's a very, uh, I like the way you think about that. And so uh, I guess the as we get into really this episode around understanding the data breaches that have occurred, now that we understand how you as an expert think about those different components, give us a little bit of an intake at, uh, oversight over what's the landscape around data breaches in financial services? What are we seeing? What have you seen? What's been going on? Yeah, look, bottom line, it's show me the money. Okay. <laughs> at the end of the day, the stakes are high. It's money. Yeah. It's um, financial related. So I think that's always the crux of it. But I guess it's not the dollar value or euro or the pound value or whatever you want to call it. It's not the monetary value in itself. It's also the monetary value of the data that sits behind it. Okay. So yep. think about, uh, so if we, if we were just to take the banking one as an example, bank account, the, uh, the value or the sum that's actually sitting in savings, yep. um, full names, the identification, what kind of net position do you have? So how many debits and credits do you actually have coming in and out in terms well, of transaction transactions? History, yeah, yep. yeah. And if you aggregate those transactions, what's that giving you? Wow. Okay. That's a, yeah. So a person's net worth, again, exactly. something that you can't change. Well, yeah. you could, you could pretty much yeah. spend everything and then <laughs> okay, I don't it's... have anything anymore. <laughs> but, uh... Okay. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm with yeah. you. It's valuable data. Yeah. But I guess leading into that, so it's not only the large amounts of data at stake, but it could be anything. Um, and I guess we covered this in episode one with aviation as well. You might actually have those um, financial systems that are shared. Think about core banking systems for the banking industry. Think about for your uh, premium collection and um, claims industry, the software that sits behind that. If they are off the shelf and they're not proprietary software, it is likely that you're going to be sharing data or on similar platforms or um, maybe even co-hosting things um, when it comes to shared cloud um, instances could be uh, also coming into play. So there is an element of disruption. Think about the economy. Financial services, you disrupt that, you disrupt the economy. Yeah, very true. In essence, that's pretty much Okay, no, excellent. So if we now understand that's the landscape, how much of a target, like I get the data is valuable, you've explained that. So tell us a bit more like what data is valuable and why is this industry a target or is it a target actually? Maybe they even asked that question. Well, it is a target because if you look at historically what's happened, um, I think there was a VMware report from, from a couple of years ago and it recorded about... 200 to around 40% increase in cyber attacks or something around that, just purely on financial institutions. Wow. And there was, um, I think, something that also came out from a report from the New York Fed Reserve 
And they were also um, mentioning that, you know, on average, financial firms actually get a cyber attack 300 times. Now, that could be obviously, you know, someone just going by and checking, you know, kind of like knocking on the doors or something. But it could also be uh, more sinister at the network level. And you know, try someone actually trying to breach through. So to answer your question, yeah, they do happen. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it's not a myth, unfortunately. But um, when it comes to how much of a target they are, they are. I like to break it down into three, I guess, um, segments. Your first segment is the sensitive personal data, which we talked about earlier. So yeah. your net worth, um, your investments, the money you hold. Um, that's pretty much a threat. Yeah. In itself, like as in, if someone knows that about you, how vulnerable are you to, you know, being, um, uh, how about you as an individual being held for ransom? Yeah, kidnapping is, <laughs> yeah. So, like, as in all those high net worth individuals out there, the celebrities. And so, there's obviously a greater risk in that, but that's the sensitive data. The other thing is, there's a lot of technological change. Oh, think about it. Um, when was the last time you uh, wrote out a Oh, what was it? A uh, withdrawal slip or a um, deposit slip by hand. You know those blue and the red um, oh my little, God. kind of like the check butts, and you had to tear them apart and have them stamped, and then they'd get cash over the counter. When was the last time we did that? Oh my God, years, <laughs> ages, ago. ages, ago, ages. Right? Yeah. So think about those times, and think about how I talked about tokenization and digital exchanges, foreign exchanges for digital currencies, cryptocurrencies. There's a lot of financial records that have become digital, and there are a lot of digital assets that have been introduced. So the digital change is actually happening on two fronts. One is the records, and one is the nature of the assets. So cryptocurrencies, um, so Bitcoin, Ethereum, so you've got your crypto on one hand, but what about, you could pretty much tokenize anything. Maybe like your since your drawings and all these um, other artwork that maybe you just oh, do in your spare, your spare time, you could be digitizing that. You could be creating tokens out of them, right? So that would actually be turning something like one item into a digital format. So there'll be digital assets or tokens. So both of those, all those technological changes that are happening, they're involving migration to the cloud. They're um, integrating with third-party providers. Um, even something as simple as mobile banking. Tell me one major bank in any country in the world that does not actually have a very simple app where you can log on, you can make a transfer, um, or you can you know pay off um, your credit card or whatever it may be. Even the smallest basic functions. Tell me a bank that does not have an app now. It's kind of expected. Isn't it's expected, it? absolutely. Yeah. And every single one of them have, in fact. I think there's stats and reports around that the apps are more commonly used than even branches or the website itself. Of course. And banks are probably also happy with that. I mean, think about the footprint and the cost decrease, the savings you're actually getting from that. So that also makes a bit of a target. All of those are new attack uh, sur- attack surface. Uh, it increases your um, attack surface area. Yeah. You've got new vectors at play. You've now got mobile Trojans. You've got mobile... Um, uh, hijacking, application hijacking, all of those as opposed to in the old days, well, oh, there could be someone that could run into our branch with a gun 
and you know we need to pull down the shutters when you press that distress uh, duress alarm and the alarm needs to be silent to notify the police station local police station because if the alarm goes off you're tipping the um, robber so all of those controls and the way things are actually changing the nature of the way you do financial services that's also making the target the target is still the same it's it's, now, it's, it's just it's just the way it's done yeah and digital it's a lot easier to do theoretically speaking because obviously you don't need to invest in a lot of things someone in a whole another country doesn't need to actually physically travel to another country walk into the branch and hold them at gunpoint now they can do that digitally so it's you've almost barrier to entry is probably lower exactly you've almost opened it up to you could be anywhere in the world and you are vulnerable and open to an attack there yeah and the last one is with that technological change comes new tech uh, adoption. So with uh, AI and machine learning, um, there's a lot of data sets that need to be trained on. So similarly to when I spoke about the fintechs, when it comes to actually uh, collaborating with your incumbents, whether they be banks or insurers or um, other digital exchanges or in the crypto space, the amount of data that they're sharing or peer-to-peer lending, um, think about the likes of maybe even PayPal and you know how much data acquisition they're actually having that although you need that for the ai and the ml um think about all the vulnerabilities that's also introducing when you're holding more data and you're acquiring more in a piecemeal way you've now got disaggregated um, technological systems so your tech stack might be old for your core banking system but now you've ventured into the crypto space or a peer-to-peer lending model they're going to be on different text tech stacks, right? And it's all going to be disaggregated. So it's kind of like a bit of um, multiple shopping stalls, if you can say, as opposed to one uh, massive supermarket. So the attacks and being able to secure them is a lot more effort. So that means a lot of things do fall through the cracks and people can slip through. Oh, wow. And so when you think beyond that, you've also got quantum metaverse, you've got blockchain, yeah. you've got all these other technology coming that's that's really fascinating so talk us through like we now understand the financial services industry you've taken us through uh, some of the um, why uh, the industry is a target talk to about some of like talk us through maybe one of the big ones or some themes that have come through from the big ones in terms of data breaches that you've seen in the industry yeah look uh, in terms of the let's go with record sizes so there was one um, uh, credit bureau that had like a, close to 150 million records breached. Um, there were other um, corporations, they had uh, credit card applications knocked out from them. That was ranging almost um, close to a billion records. So it was like 800 or 900 million records that were going off That would there. be a lot of personal data in those applications. Yeah. Yeah, just think about it. Uh, And I know this changes from country to country, but uh, there is a lot in the Oceania region and some in the EU region as well, where there was regulatory changes. Even here, we've had regulatory changes where the credit card application is not like it was used to be. Now you actually have to assess a credit application, a credit card application as though it was a personal loan application. And can that person repay that within three years? Well, or as at right now, that's the new regulation. So in order to do that, you need to know all the income expenses and pretty much as though you were going for a home loan. That's how stringent it's actually starting to become. That means more data collection. 
That means more data that's available for um, in that breach had that actually happened now as opposed to back and then. And it's personal data. It's still personal oh, yeah. sensitive data. It's yeah. not just generic data. Again, no. I think the point is that... No, it's labeled. It's labeled to your name. It's labeled to your co-borrower. Um, if it's with your spouse, it's labeled to maybe your kids or if they've got something that is a guarantor yeah. um, uh, in any credit applications. So because of all those extra data that you need, which rightfully you do need in order to process the credit application and assess the risk, um, assess the credit risk, that actually does open. But if you think about the themes that were happening there, it was um, data not actually being encrypted and segregated and not patching the vulnerabilities that were in there. So it wasn't just the zero day attacks, it was, well, this there's a patch update for this, but the patch is not actually being done. And not actually doing those, having that code injection, uh, it leaves a lot of portals. Mm. Because a lot of people, remember how we talked about the digitizing the experience? Think about now, if you wanted to go for a home loan or if you wanted to go for some sort of financial service product application, you do it through their online website, right? There's a portal for it, you enter your details, but that portal, although you everyone was very quick to whip one up, what about the exposure, the malicious code that can be injected in that? So for uh, the hacking community um, that's listening to this podcast, what about um, uh, SQL injection? What about um, ways that you can actually uh, create even a fake a web website application and maybe you enter your details into the wrong one? So. A lot of those are your website links, your web portals, the way they're connected. The way the data is actually captured at the front end is where the vulnerabilities lie most because of all the digital transformations that have been happening. So that that's the link. Very interesting because I think a lot of people might think that it's actually where the data is stored or when you transmit it or when you delete it. But And it is. It is. Don't get me wrong, but it's a misnomer to think that that's the only case because it's a lot easier to steal the credentials as you're putting them in. So the that input, the input and capture is a goldmine. Wow. Okay. That's that's really interesting because I think those four elements, yeah. um, I think the second and third are the most common, yeah. uh, well understood. So what are some of the lessons that we can learn from the data breaches in financial services? Oh yeah, look, definitely it's the vulnerabilities and patching those. Um, it, it's understandable, like there's, there could be things that the patch has not been released um, for yet, but when they're there and they're not being patched and it's being you know shown out in the security, the researchers and the community, and look, these exploits can be used in the wild and this is how you do it, it's out there. There's a lot of scripts that can then just automate that and just try every single... It's not like one person needs to try individually. No, you're leveraging technology to do it. Exactly. The other thing is the human error element. So yes, there can be human errors, but actually getting fished Mm. uh, from um, that because at the end of the day, you get someone's credentials. Great. Now you can move around. And I think the third one is more about the supply chain. So we talked about the fintechs as well. Think about how they pair up with the incumbents, the accelerator programs, the APIs or the data, um, uh, the screen scraping. Although everyone's trying to move away from screen scraping, um, it hasn't been phased out yet. And for those that aren't familiar with screen scraping, it's think about if you're opting for a fintech or you're getting a, uh, I don't know, a new new app or financial uh, service provider or someone that's providing you some something that's making your life easier and you're like, oh yeah, I want to I do that. And you connect your bank details, but they need to 
scrape the data in terms of transactions to provide the analytics and give you that financial advice, like robo advice, you end up giving your credentials, so your a customer ID and your password, so that they, the robot can log in and own. scrape that data. With you. Until the banks and everyone didn't introduce their um, open APIs and strictly conform to, okay, this will control what data is actually being shared. Think about how much of a vulnerability that is. It's like, how do you know the robot is actually using your credentials or it's the machine? Even banks, they don't know whom it is. They're just getting a lot of hits on their uh, e-banking. So with that, there is a lot of the way customers actually perceive the ease of use of new technology and apps and what they want to connect and how much access are you giving? You can't control that access. So hence the reason why things like open banking and a lot of these new data regulations are really important because it's privacy. The big lesson there is privacy and how much data are you actually allowing access to which is a consumer's choice. It should be yes. the consumer's choice. Exactly, exactly. Hence, consumer data, right? Yes, yeah, <laughs> no, fair enough. No, that's fair enough. And um, if I go sort of, what are you seeing in terms of the future, in terms of this industry? Where, where could the data breaches happen? Where are the vulnerabilities? If yeah. I use the vulnerability word. Yeah, look, I think uh, the transformations are still going to continue to play. There's a lot of cloud migrations that are happening. Use of AI and machine learning uh, requires a lot of data um, for training sets. And the way that's used and the way you continue to, you know, build upon that algorithm, um, there's a lot of valuable data there. Um, how that's actually being stored, um, encrypted, segregated, de-identified. Um, do you have the right to hold it for so long? And what are the regulatory requirements? Those transformations are happening at such speed, the security, the risks, the compliance, and the regulatory and the governance, probably those four to five areas often lag behind. And because at the speed of change for that innovation, um, you've also got to be making sure you are doing them in a secure way. Yeah. So there is a lot of security controls that you need to be considering about how you're protecting that data, how long you're keeping it, and you know, is it everything in clear text and everyone's um, labeled and is that all there all together in one database open for everyone to take? Probably not a good idea. Uh, the other thing then comes into play is your um, the whole um, fintech and your financial services ecosystem. So whom are your data providers? Whom is actually providing data to or from? And are they providing only that data that you allow them to give? Uh, a classic example is if you've got a joint account or a joint loan with a spouse, even uh, if another one was to take one spouse's um, consent, do you need both spouses to actually consent to that and say, okay, yep, no, we're switching this loan over or what's actually happening? Or how is that data actually being captured and manipulated for use in uh, emerging technology? So where that's actually traveling, I guess you need to go through the pipes as well. Yeah, wow, that's really interesting. Well, let me try and wrap it up with the, your favorite movie around financial services, whether it's from a security risk or other angle. Oh, oh look, I'm probably going to have to go with um, one of the heist movies, um, and that will be Sean Connery and Katharina Zeta-Jones Entrapment. That was that good. One, that one, that, that had everything, and uh, I won't spoil it for our listeners. Uh, it's more than two decades ago, this movie, but 
the way they actually go through different heists and the way they're using Millennium Knight and to actually take a bit of um, manipulate the way financial transactions happen at midnight uh, that was quite fascinating so wow. how about yourself well i think uh, for me i'm gonna go bollywood i think anke which means eyes the where three blind people actually end up robbing a bank and that whole the security controls and the human element i think it's so fascinating so even if you're not a Bollywood fan, like have a look at Anke. That was a good one. And that, that's the newer one, not the old one. There was one from the 70s and 80s as well. No, <laughs> this, is the, this is the new one with Amitabh Bachchan in it and Sushmita Sen and Akshay Kumar. So uh, one of my favorite ones. And um, with that, I'll say that is a wrap for today. Until we talk again, stay safe. And secure.